Since 2010, Deb Harrison has been coaching pickleball and making videos for the sport. She now has over 200 of them. Her knowledge of the game is incredible, so during this interview, we talk about some things you may never have heard of before, such as the chop, loop, and hairpin drop. I think anyone who listens to this episode will learn something new that you can use to improve your game. So let's get to the intro to hear from Deb. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Deb Harrison, who's probably better known as Pickle Pong Deb. Welcome, Deb. Hey, thank you, Lynn. I appreciate you having me on. Right. Yeah, you're somebody who, when I first came into Pickleball three years ago, I watched a ton of your videos and learn so much. And normally the first question I ask somebody on the podcast is how they got started playing pickleball. But you know what? I have to ask you first about your nickname, Pickle Pong Deb. Well, I do enjoy all sports and I've played a lot of sports, but currently I just enjoy pickleball for a lot and ping pong or table tennis. It just sounded good together. Ping pong and pickle pong. So that's how I got that name. So I'm enjoying pickleball and ping pong as my two favorite sports right now. Ah, perfect. Okay. Early on it was field hockey and then I played tennis and, you know, I played lacrosse. I've done a lot of things, but right now it's just those two sports. Yep. Alrighty. And they have probably a fair amount in common, which we'll get to in a, in a second here, but go ahead and tell me the story about how you first did get started playing pickleball and how long ago that was. Well, it was about 17 years ago in a, one court in Fort Myers area. And I got started there and I, I had just come from tennis. I was a tennis teacher and league organizer on Cape Cod at Cape Cod Racket and Health and uh, Mid-Cape Racket Club on Cape Cod in Yarmouth, Massachusetts. And I had a summer uh, winter place in Fort Myers that I was quickly introduced to the game of pickleball. That was in t- 2004. And I fell in love with it immediately, immediately. But soon I was, I was humbly one of the better players in that one court. And there was always 15 people waiting to play. So a friend of mine was in the villages and said there are about 20 or 50 to 70 courts in the villages. And I went up to observe and I said, oh, I want to go there for pickleball. So that's why I moved to the villages to play more pickleball. Of course, we had to sell that place and we had to sell our business in Massachusetts, which was by the way, a jewelry store in Massachusetts and our home in Massachusetts, which my nephew bought. So after all that is said and done, the following July, I moved to the villages full time and I have never looked back. I have enjoyed every minute of it. Yep. (laughs) Well, you know, I think you're the first person who I've really talked to on the podcast is who's truly moved somewhere to, to focus on pickleball. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of opportunities here. And I, I just originally I played, oh, for two, two or three morning um, hours every morning with an intent every time I played 
and because I still had a business in uh, the villages till 2010. But since 2010, my life has been my own to coach and do the videos and play pickleball and ping pong or table tennis all the time. So now I'm free to do what I want to do. (laughs) So I'm happy as a clam. I think that's great. And I'll look forward to being there one day too. But (laughs) go ahead and talk a little bit about table tennis, as you like to call it, I think. And, you know, I, you know, I think like a lot of people, I just played ping pong when I was a kid. And I just curious, you know, it sounds like you're a pretty serious ping pong player. Tell me a little bit about how the skills in ping pong transfer to pickleball. Well, I think in the scheme of things, I'm probably a low level ping pong player or table tennis player in the scheme of things, but it's just, it applies a lot of the principles of uh, top spin, underspin, blocks, block drops, third shot drop. And some of those things apply on a smaller scene on the table. So understanding chop, top spin, loops, they all, they all have a place in pickleball as well. So some of the similarities, and you can see the spin a little bit more violently on a table tennis ball because it hits the table and squirts away somewhere under spin, top spin, and all of that. But the principles do hold true on pickleball too, but it's not as extreme. And I think some of the better uh, male or the ones that I know anyway, like Ben Johns plays a fine game of uh, table tennis. And I think along the way, they've got those skills in their repertoire as well. Right. Well, I think Ben Johns would play a fine game of just about any sport, to be honest. I think so too, because he was a high level uh, tennis player as well. And they all apply the having a paddle in your hand. It all applies. (laughs) Yeah. Now in talking about, you know, some of the things in ping pong, I think most pickleball players are, are pretty familiar with, you know, top spin shots and underspin and things like that. But Tell me a little bit about the chop and the loop, because you mentioned that in ping pong. And, you know, what what does that look like on the pickleball court? Well, a loop is a big low to high from like, imagine the, the table tennis table and the ball is way below the table and you have to bring it up somehow and make it bounce on the other side. That's called a loop. That's a loop in table tennis. And a chop is when you, some actually Asian people choose whether they're top spinners or chops. So you can chop block so that now the ball's coming like an underspin back to you or top spin where it's coming towards you. So a chop is extreme underspin and a loop is extreme top spin. So it's just hitting the table and just taking off, but it's landing on the table with the extreme spin. So that's a a chop and a, a loop. You know, when you were describing the loop there, I was just kind of imagining that if the ball is below the table, it's almost like, you know, attacking a ball in pickleball that's below the net. And having it is, to- it is, it is below the net, and you come up through the ball and you finish high. Yeah. And in in table th- in pickleball, what you do is you relax your grip, you relax your group, and just let it go. And some people finish over their left shoulder. Some people don't. Like Ted Myers does what I call is make a muscle. And he comes from low to high and he just uh, makes a muscle with his right hitting hand. That's, that's, that's kind of like a loop too, where you come low to high. And it can impart side spin and top spin. 
If you come on the side of the ball, you're imparting side and topspin. If you come right through the ball with a flat blade, you're imparting topspin. Yep. And I think Ben just on video just demonstrated a backhand below the net topspin backhand. That way you brush up the back of the ball and finish high. Where it's not a lot of wristy stuff, but it's a lot of arm stuff too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I tend to be a little bit more wristy in almost everything I do having that, that racquetball background. Is there much wrist action in ping? Well, like on the backhand, like the backhand is described as throwing a Frisbee. If you throw a Frisbee with the back of your hand, that kind of is coming over the ball. So if you get the image of throwing a Frisbee with the back of your hand, you're coming over the top of the ball and that's imparting, but it's kind of like a forearm, not a, not a kind of a wrist. It's more of a forearm throwing the ball rather than a wrist flick. They're both very different. Topspin is the forearm. The flick would be utilizing the wrist to get that ball going there. Right. It can be used. In fact, it comes off the paddle, off your pickleball paddle or the ping pong paddle with a little bit more pace if you flick it. Right. Yeah. I think that's definitely what I have a, a tendency to do. But, you know, it's always amazing when I look at your YouTube channel. I mean, it seems like you've got a thousand, a thousand videos. And, you know, I I think we mentioned it might be more like in the 200 plus range. But one of the things that I think is great, too, is that you've got some great titles, you know, in your videos, like New Age Pickleball, Hairpin Drop, War Options. I mean, those are just a few, actually, very recent videos that it looks like you've done. How do you How do you come up with all these things? Oh, I stay up well into the wee hours of the morning. No, I just kind of like, like the, the hairpin because I was a badminton player at one time and there is a shot in badminton called a hairpin and you can Google it and, and see what it looks like. And I said, Hmm, that's interesting. And I think my male partner who I usually, I play with a lot is his name is Ted Meyer. And he says, Deb, make the ball bounce make the ball bounce. If they bounce, if they bounce it, they can't attack you as easily if you get it up in the yellow or green zone. Yeah. So make it bounce. So hairpin is definitely a bounced ball, but it's shaped like a little bobby pin that clips the net and it, it, it goes up and down. And most recently when I've been teaching the third shot drop, if I start with a hairpin, getting the importance of a ball getting over the net and shallow in the court. It really helps when you move back a little bit to think hairpin, hairpin, hairpin from all the way back in the baseline, which becomes a third shot drop. You if know, they understand that you can't get deep on a third shot, the hairpin concept makes it clearer to them how close to the net you've got to get the ball in order for it the, the opponent to be bouncing the ball in front of them. And so then is is a hairpin drop, you know, like a good example of a third shot drop or is a hairpin drop something that you can also use when you're near the kitchen line? You can you can we start at the kitchen line and we even start standing in the non-volley zone. Stand in the non-volley zone and see how close you can get it to the net. That's a hairpin. Then I say hairpin now get back out hairpin, get back out. And you can start in the kitchen so you can get the the concept of getting it up under six o'clock under the ball to at least respect the net and get it over the net. 
So it starts from really close in. And then you can move back. But the concept of getting that ball over the net, respecting the net, is crucial in almost all shots, whether it be a dink or, you know, or a third shot. Just get it over the net and keep it shut. Right. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, I hadn't been playing pickleball that long. And there was a tennis pro at one of the clubs who was just starting to play pickleball. And, you know, nowadays, actually, a lot of players will hit it a little bit, you know, do a drop a little bit deeper in the court. But we were both just, I think that was probably a great description, what you said with a hairpin drop. I mean, there was a number of times where we literally were clipping the net and it was just going so shallow in the court. And, you know, it was so, so tough to get back. Well, once it doesn't go over the net, you've lost the point. You know, you've lost the the, the ability to get into the game. You know, I think that on a third shot drop, if you think, first of all, shallow, and the more experience you get, Add, start adding underspin, topspin, but still the bounce is still where they can't reach it or attack it in the green zone above the net or even level with the net. They can still attack those. It's got to bounce so that they're coming up under the ball. Right. Like you were saying earlier, make the ball bounce. Yeah. 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 And it's the depth of the ball, not the, not the, uh, the height. You can, you can, and by the way, if you're in back of the, back of the baseline, you can afford to keep the ball a little higher than when you start closing in, you've got to start getting it lower and lower and lower, but you can afford to get that ball over the net a little higher from way back and earn your ability to get up to the NVZ. And so why is it that when you're deeper in the court, you can actually hit it a little bit higher? Because you've got time. It gives you time. You need time so you can hit it a little higher. And if it's bouncing in front of your opponent, all that time, you could be starting to close in cautiously, but closing in on a higher ball that gives you oodles of time to start maneuvering yourself up into the, into the court. You might end up in the transitional area. Now the ball has bounced. They have to see you and respect that you're in the middle of the court. Now, now they have to either think, keep it in space at your feet, be careful about putting it up because you can choose to attack that ball once you start closing in. Now, one of the interesting things is that I, I'm actually sitting here in my brother's office because I've been in Southern California for a couple of weeks. And what's interesting is that, you know, here in Burbank, I get to play with some some different people. And there's a lot of players who do not like to play the soft game at all and almost will never hit a, a third shot drop. I mean, it, it always amazes me that, you know, people still kind of resist the soft game. Well, I think, I think pickleball is very, a lot, so much fun because people are drawn to this game because they can whack it. They can, you know, have fun whacking the ball. And that's, that's what that is. A lot of people just get into the game because this is such fun to be able to whack, whack, whack. The better you get, the more important it is to learn at least to think, okay, they outwhack me on that one. Now I've got to think about how they, I don't allow them to do that. So that means that you've got to get the ball below the net. So now they're hitting it up at you. So you can then whack it. So if you're playing people who are banging the ball, the problem is you're getting the ball up. Why? Most people will whack that. Why not? That's the banger. If you want a dink game, you've got to learn something that's going down at their feet. 
And that starts a lower ball, a softer ball, because they can't whack it as easily. A green zone is something that they can hit down. A yellow ball is they can attack it by, it's not really at the feet yet. A red ball is when it's going down at their feet. Now they have to be careful about lifting it up with pace. Because either if they hit that ball hard, it's probably going out, or it's going right up into your wheelhouse if you've closed in on it. Does that make sense, Lynn? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No no well, doubt. If, if you're in a banging group, continue to enjoy it. But if you want to get into a more experienced group that does a little more dinking, you've got to learn how to get that third shot down at the feet. It can be a dipper, which means that it's topspin dipping. It can be a hairpin, which means it's floating dink. Uh, dink. It can be a side spin or underspin or whatever, but it's got to land at the feet. Now, what advice do you have for people, you know, obviously, the more experienced people that you play, when they return the ball to you, and you're getting ready to hit that third shot drop, it's always a little bit tougher when they have more spin on the ball coming at you often, often underspin, you know, sometimes top spin. But like today, I was playing against somebody who's like a four or five player. And it's like, I definitely had a lot more issues hitting those third shot drops. So what can players do? There are several types of third shot drops. It depends upon what your opponent is giving you. If they give you a really hard top spin, drive, deep return of serve, then the technique to do a drop shot is more like less, just block it. So you're going to do a block as opposed to try to push it forward. If they give you no pace, underspin, you've got to lift the ball and get get some distance on it. So if it's underspin, you've got to lift maybe with topspin so it clears the net. If it's hard and topspin, you simply have to block that hard ball to get less pace on the ball, which is hard to do. But sometimes that's even easier for some people because you don't have to think about it. You just have to block it. Just block it up, keep it shallow, and get going forward. With a softer with a softer ball, you have to do all the energy to get the ball up and over the net. It's a stroke as opposed to a block. So it takes more thought when the ball comes easily to you. Right. And that's good advice because I could definitely see that if I would have been blocking the ball more, I think it would have been much more effective. The other thing to do is 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 if if you're compromised on the baseline, say they've got a really good return, simply think, get the ball back over the net. It might be a drive. It might be a lob. It doesn't have to be a third shot drop if you're not comfortable doing it. Anything to just get the, that ball in play. And the next shot might be a little easier for you to uh, manage if they're really challenging you. So just get the ball back in play and take it from there. It doesn't have to be a drop shot if you're compromised and you're uncomfortable. Just lob it, drive it. Yeah. Wait for the ball that you can drop. Good point. And like you said, it's not, it doesn't always have to be a third shot drop. You know, in fact, we see more and more of the pros, you know, driving the ball. So, and and then of course the lob, if, if you can hit a good one. Yeah. The new, when I did my video on new age pickleball, with the influx of really powerful tennis players hitting great ground strokes, they, they're using that to their advantage. And if you can get a, a drive, like a third shot drive, and then a fifth shot drop, sometimes linking those two together 
are really good. If if I do not like the hardball, oh, these bangers are killing me. Why not make it uncomfortable for me? If I don't like the hardball, oh, I love the softball. I don't like the hardball. Give your opponents what they don't like. They'll probably pop it up and you can continue hammering it. So use your skills, use whatever skills you bring into the game. It might be tennis. It might be your uh, racquetball. It might be my badminton. Use those skills to your advantage. Squash, I've heard squash players have different strokes. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. I talked to a squash player not too long ago on the on the podcast. And, you know, actually, I think uh, he, he was saying that what he brought most from squash was actually endurance and just being in really great shape. So when you're playing in tournaments and playing all those matches, you've got to got to really be in good shape. Yeah. And Heli Spari is uh, really fantastic about understanding angles and who's going to take what ball, like the, the workhorse concept and the blocker and where are you putting the ball to, to protect your partner? Yeah. Understanding that. I think to have a good partner, what you're trying to do is set your partner up for a good shot and protect your partner by not putting the ball up so that they can get hammered. Yeah. So be a good partner, protect them and set. Well, perfect. I know after people hear this podcast interview that they are absolutely going to want to come and take a camp or some, some lessons from you. What are you mostly just teaching in the villages or are you traveling around the country too? Well, unfortunately, I my teaching site is off villages property because they don't allow us players to teach in the villages for payment. I do all my lessons at Recreation Plantation, which is five minutes from my house in the villages. So it's really close to anywhere in the villages. So that's my coaching site right there. And I do camps every month. My next one is June, no, July 22nd, 23rd, 24th. And I have another one in August. So they're three-day camps, and they end up being at about 18 hours. And I cover everything in pickleball. I mix the levels a, a bit, a little bit, and it works because I have a couple of assistants that help me. And we divvy up the groups into ability groups. But we also mingle so that no, no one's always with the same group. So mingling and same ability groupings are, are good, too. But I, my belief is that good players do fundamentals really well. So it doesn't matter that it's a, a camp for all levels. You're just doing a lot of fundamentals really well. And the better players are just going to simply do that much better than the beginning players. And is the are the camps also at Recreation Plantation? The camps and my lessons, yep. Okay, perfect. Well, good then. Just to uh, finish up the podcast then, I always do like to ask the pickleball pros, which p- paddle do you use and why do you use it? Right now I'm using the Electrum. I like the the, the feel of the Electrum. It's about a 7.8. It's got a kind of a rough texture on it. It's light. It's maneuverable. It has good power and control. But that's the paddle I'm using right now, and I love it. All right. Well, I appreciate you so much, Deb, for being on the Pickleball Fire podcast today. Really enjoyed the conversation and just a lot of good instruction. And, you know, I would definitely encourage the Pickleball Fire audience to, you know, make sure and watch all 200 of your videos. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate the uh, invitation to be on your show. I hope we meet someday. Absolutely. One of these days, I'm going to get back to Florida, you know, with the pandemic. I just flew for the first time out to see my brother. But yeah, next stop, Florida. Uh, where do, where you live now? Where do you live? I'm actually in Connecticut, not too far from Hartford. 
I taught at the University of Bridgeport. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right down the street years ago. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Deb, for being on the podcast. Okay, Lynn. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 